and then we'll see how all of this ties together. Man, it's so cool how the Holy Spirit of God inspired the Apostle Paul to write this like he did. It's, it's amazing that all of it um, fits right in and, and just makes so much sense to me as I've been looking at it this week. First, we, if you remember, I told you that there was a controversy that we needed to see between the flesh and the spirit. We see that in Galatians 5, verses 17 and 18. The scripture says there that the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit lusts against the flesh. And so um, that word lust actually means opposes. And so it's telling us that the flesh is in opposition to the spirit, and the spirit is in opposition to the flesh. Like I told you before, inside the life of every believer who's been born again into the family of God, You've got two natures. You've got that old sinful nature that you were born with that came from Papa Adam. And then you, now that you are in Christ, you've got a new nature. The Holy Spirit of God lives within you. He's now indwelled you as a believer. If you believe that, say amen to that. Again, Paul says we have this treasure. And what a treasure it is. This treasure in earthen vessels. God lives in us. And I'm so very thankful for that truth. What a blessing that is. But because of that, the difference in the flesh and the spirit, they oppose one another. There's a, there's a constant tug of war, pulling the child of God in different directions. And so then we said we need to see not only the controversy between the flesh and the spirit, but secondly, the clear command given in the word of God. Now all of these are going to start with C. And I've had people ask me, they said, Brother, why do you alliterate your sermons? Now I don't always do that, but I try to do that because it helps me remember it. And I hope it'll help you remember it. But we see the clear command in Scripture right here in verse number 16. It says, Paul said, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what's he saying? We are to be Spirit-led in everything we do. Everybody say, my body, his life. <laughs> Listen, it's our body, but he should be directing us. He should be leading us day by day, not just in the church house, but in our house. Not just here, but at our workplace. Not just here, but at the ball game or the grocery store or wherever you find yourself around lost people. We are to be led of the Spirit so that we might be used to the Lord and, and listen, do good for the kingdom of God. So that we might be the hands and feet of Christ daily. We must be Spirit-led. So we see the controversy between the flesh and the Spirit, verse 17 and 18. We see the clear command given in verse 16 to walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. Third, we saw the credentials that Paul gave of the flesh and the spirit. That's in verses 19 through 22. He said, there's works of the flesh and then there's fruits of the spirit. We spent a, a lot of time on that and talked about what that means. Now, fourthly tonight, what I want to share with you is the last point in this, but again, it'll tie in with chapter six. I want you to look at the cancer of conceit. And, and it is a cancer, man, it's, it's a big problem. Look what he says, starting in Galatians five, verse 25. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. So Paul gives us some direction here. He gives us really a command. He said, do not desire vainglory. Now, what does that word mean? When the Bible uses that vainglory, what's he talking about? Well, in the Greek, in the original language, it actually means one who glorifies self without reason. The man who is seeking after vainglory, the woman who is seeking after vainglory, have a problem with pride. They have a problem with pride and therefore they're going to have a problem with conceit. They're going to be the braggart. 
They're going to be the one that's going to try to make themselves look big and everybody else look small. You ever been around people like that? I have too. I want to tell you something. I'm not going to be around them long. I can't stand to be around them long. Kind of makes me sick to be around them. And, and so Paul says, don't be like that. That's not what children of God are to be. And there's a reason. And the reason is found in the definition I just gave you. I love this so much. Again, in the original language, it means one who glorifies self without reason. Without reason. See, the truth is, none of us have a reason to glorify ourselves. We don't. I don't have a reason to glorify myself. You don't have a reason to glorify yourself. You say, now wait a minute, Brother Israel, just hung on just a minute. I mean, I'm a good person. I do some really, really good things. I help people. I'm a good mama. I'm a good daddy. I'm a good husband or wife. I do good things. I'm a good person. Let me tell you what the Word of God says about our goodness. Do you know the Bible says in Isaiah 64 and 6 that our righteousnesses, the good things we do, when you hold them up next to God's standard, they're like filthy rags. Do you know that? That's the good things we do. That's not the bad things. That's, that's what we consider to be good. God says, your righteousness is like a filthy rag. Now what does he mean when he says there in Isaiah, filthy rag? That filthy rag speaks of the pus-stained rags that are wrapped around the sores of a leper. Do you get the picture? None of us can glory in our goodness. See, the truth is this. The, really, the only goodness, the only righteousness that anybody has, real righteousness, true goodness, the only righteousness I have is the righteousness that was imputed to me when I placed my faith in Jesus. When I placed faith in Jesus, the Bible says God the Father imputed the righteousness of His Son to me. So now that when God sees me, He no longer sees me as a lost sinner, but He sees me as the righteousness of His Son. Not because of who I am and what I've done, but because of who Jesus is and what He's done for me by the grace of God. Are you getting me? If you don't believe me, read Romans chapter 4. He tells us that. God imputes to us His righteousness, not because of our good works, but because we place faith in Jesus. Isn't that good? I'm so very thankful for that. So we can't boast in our goodness. We can't boast in the good things we do in our own self-righteousness. That, that would be very, very unwise. Some people want to boast in their wealth and their success. And, and let me say, say something to you. A lot of preachers preach that we ought to be um, just as poor as a rat snake and just live day to day and just try to get by. I don't, I don't believe that at all. I think you ought to be as successful as you can possibly be. I think you ought to work hard every day. Amen? I think you ought to go out there and get after it and take advantage of the opportunity you've been blessed with to be in this country. You can have whatever you want if you're willing to work for it. I'm telling you. Go get it. Nothing wrong with being successful. Nothing wrong with working hard. As a matter of fact, the Bible says if a man don't work, he shouldn't eat. The Bible's for a good hard day's work. Amen. The Bible's for us doing as unto the Lord with whatever he puts in our hands. So tomorrow when I go to my workplace, 
I'm going to be the best sign man in the state of Alabama. Not because my boss is watching me, but because my God is watching me. Amen? That's how we ought to be. I'm not against being successful. I'm not against being wealthy because you're successful. Let me tell you what I am against when you're prideful about it. Let me tell you what, what, what God is against when you're prideful about it. People say, oh man, I, I, I've made my own way. I pulled myself up by the bootstraps and I went out there and did my thing and now look where I'm at. And, and they're boastful about this stuff. And again, to make their own self look good and everybody else look bad. Let me give you a verse. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse number 18. Brother, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. Deuteronomy 8, 18. Watch this. The Lord gave this to all of us because he knew we would struggle with this. Look what he says. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. Who gives you power to get wealth? Is it because you've just got that can-do attitude and you just go out there and get it done? Well, that may be a little of it. But let me tell you, if you, didn't, if you didn't have the health you have, you couldn't go to the job you go to. If you didn't have the knowledge you have, you couldn't be successful in whatever area you're successful in. Guess who gave you the health? And guess who gave you the knowledge? And guess who gave you the power to go out there and get done what you need to get done? God did. So guess what? You can't boast in it. We can't. A lot of people who want to boast not only about their wealth, but about their health. <laughs> Amen? I tell you what, I heard a man tell me this way, I'm just as healthy as a horse. Let me tell you what you are. You are one heartbeat away from eternity. That's what you are. I don't care if you work out seven days a week. I don't care if you run three miles every day. You are one heartbeat away from it. I don't care if all you eat is celery and lettuce and kale baked on, in the stove. I don't care. Listen, we are one heartbeat away. You might get hit by a truck tomorrow too. I'm just saying, we can't boast of these things. You know what Peter said, 1 Peter 1.24? He said that all flesh is as grass. And we are withering away. Isn't it the truth? If you don't believe me, look in the mirror. Just last night, me and my wife and my baby girl, Anna Kate, we was sitting in front of a big mirror on the wall, about a three-foot mirror. And, and uh, I was sitting on the outside. Anna Kate was sitting in the middle, and Randy was sitting on the left side. And I looked around all of them, and I looked in that mirror, and I said, man, who is that old man looking at us back in that mirror? I look just like an old man. And Anna Kate said, yeah, Dad, you do. And I said, thank you, thank you for the encouragement, baby. I love you too. But it's true. We're withering away, ain't we? No matter how hard we try to fight it, all of us are. Every one of us. So we can't boast in these things. Let me give you another good verse. You know what Paul said? If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in Jesus. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Verse number 31. Brother, put it on the screen for us, please. 1 Corinthians 1.31. The church at Corinth had a problem with boasting, a very big problem. Lord willing, we're actually going to look at the book of 1 Corinthians after we leave Galatians. So y'all be praying about that. But it says that according as it is written, he that glorieth or he that boasteth, let him glory or boast in the Lord. If I'm going to brag on anybody, I'm going to brag on Jesus. Let me tell you why. I have salvation, not because of my good works, 
Not because I've done a lot of stuff. I can never do enough stuff to meet God's perfect, righteous, holy standard. And you can't either. I can't boast in my goodness. If I'm going to boast in my salvation, I'm going to boast in Jesus. I can't boast in what I have because if it wasn't for God's blessings, I wouldn't have it. I can't boast really in anything because I realize just how small I truly am and how big God really is. So if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the fact that he loved me. I'm going to boast in the fact that he's gracious to me. I'm going to boast in the fact that he's done for me what I cannot and could not do for myself. Amen? So let's cut out the cancer of conceit because it is a cancer. People who have a problem with conceit, you know what the first cousin of conceit is, don't you? The granddaddy of all sin, pride. And if you break down the word pride, you see that you've got a P and an R on one side and a D and E on the other side, and right there in the middle, what sits there? And I. People who struggle with pride and conceit are the ones who think it's all about them. May we not be desirous of vainglory. If you got it, say I got it. Let's go on. Now listen. If you do these things, if you see the controversy, if you realize the controversy between the flesh and the spirit, if you adhere to the clear command in scripture where he says walk in the spirit or be led by the spirit, if you recognize, if you recognize the different characteristics that we see the credentials of the, of the flesh and the spirit, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, and you cut out the cancer of, this, of conceit, if you take this truth that we've learned in Galatians chapter number 5, and you put it into practice in your life, you apply it to your life and allow the Holy Spirit of God to work on you, work in you, and work through you. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Then you'll do what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. So what's it say in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3? Well, he's talking about our fifth point that I want to add to the four that I just gave you. And that fifth point is this. Listen, we are to care one for another. Amen? Look how he puts it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, now, if he's talking to the brethren, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the church, the brothers and sisters in Christ, to the body. We are many members in one body. We are brothers and sisters in one family. And so he says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. Watch this. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives his own self. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for the good truth that's in your word. Thank you, Father God, that you've done for us what we couldn't do. Lord, I'm thankful tonight that we can all boast in you, not in who we are, not in what we've done, not in what we can do. Oh, Lord, may we glory in who you are. Father, may we lift you up. Lord Jesus, may we continually praise you for you alone over honor our glory and our praise. Lord, I'm asking tonight that you would have your way and have your will in this service. Holy Spirit, speak to me, speak through me, use me for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. How do we care one for another? Well, according to what it says there in Galatians chapter number six and verse number two, we are to bear one another's burdens. And I think that is the meat 
of the message that we see in these first three verses. And really what it gets down to is these two words that you see right there in verse number two when it says, one another, one another. Everybody see that? One another implies the spirit of unity. One another implies the spirit of uh, togetherness. One another implies that, folks, listen to me now, we are one body that is to be in unified in our purpose, not uniformed, not we shouldn't walk in uniformity. I don't have to be like you and you don't have to be like me. God has called us to be different and gifted us in different ways. We don't have to be uniform, but we should be in unity in purpose. We are to be doing everything we can to lift up Jesus and be his hands and his feet in a lost and dying world. If you believe that, say amen. One another speaks of those things. Oneness, unity, togetherness. I read a uh, Peanuts comic strip not too long ago that made a lot of sense. Um, Lucy asks Charlie Brown, she says, why are we on this earth, Charlie Brown? You know what Charlie Brown said to her? So that we can make other people happy. She sit there for a minute. And she said, well, why, why is everybody else here? <laughs> so, see, she, she kind of missed the whole point. How many of you know, if we're doing this for one another, listen, I am to help you and you are to help me. I am to love you and you are to love me. I am to do for you and you are to do for me. Dr. David Jeremiah says it like this. He said, if you really want to experience joy in your Christian life, he tells you how to get it and I love it. He says, if you really want the joy of the Lord to be evident in your life, you put Jesus first, you put others second, and you put yourself last. I like that. That's good stuff. It's true. I'm telling you, folks, we are to live for one another. The phrase one another is used repeatedly throughout the Word of God. You see it over and over and over again. The Bible says love one another in John 15, verse number 12, and again in verse number 17, and in about 10 other places throughout the New Testament. The Bible says pray for one another in James chapter 5, and verse number 16. The Bible says edify one another. What's it? Can anybody give me a good definition of edify? What would you say? To build up. Yes. To build up. Now, it's not to tear down, but to build up. It's to encourage and not discourage. To edify one another. Why are we here tonight? I'm hoping that I can edify you. And guess what? You can edify me. And we build one another up so that we might be what God wants us to be. Are you getting me? We love one another, we pray for one another, we edify one another, we prefer one another according to Romans 12 and 10. We be hospitable to one another, 1 Peter 4 and 9. And then here in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 2, it says we are to bear one another's burden. It's all about one another. Amen? How many of you have ever heard of General William Booth? Anybody? General William Booth is the founder of the Salvation Army. It's a great ministry. It's, uh, it's all over the world, still going strong today. And the Lord has used that in a fantastic way. I heard a story one time about General Booth. He was wanting to go to the international meeting of the Salvation Army. And he fell ill. He got really sick and he couldn't go. And so what happened was he wrote down a message that someone could carry in his stead and read it at the international convention. And so the, his secretary brought this message and they stood up in front of the international committee with uh, members of the Salvation Army from all over the world there. 
And, and he got one word message on the paper. You know what it said? Others. <laughs> he summed it up pretty good, didn't he? If you really want to make a difference, it needs to be about others. If you really want to be like Jesus, it needs to be about others. I cannot think of a better time of the year to make it all about others than Christmas time. Can you? You see, at Christmas time, God thought of others. God thought of me. God thought of you. And he sent his son to do for us what we couldn't do. I'm thankful that when his son came, he fulfilled his mission perfectly. He went to the cross and he died, not for his sin, but for the sin of others. I'm thankful that when he walked upon this earth, he healed blinded eyes. Not his eyes, his eyes weren't blind, but he healed blinded eyes of others. I'm thankful that when he walked upon this earth, he healed ears that were deaf. Not in his ears, his ears were fine, but in... I'm thankful that Jesus fed others. I'm thankful Jesus taught others. I'm thankful Jesus met the needs of others. And if we're going to be Christians, which is Christ-like, it better be about others. Amen? One another. One another. Bear one another's burdens. How do we become burden bearers? Well, the scripture tells us. Now, there's three different types of burdens spoken of here. Tonight, we'll probably just look at the first one, and then next week, we'll look at the other two. First of all, in verse number one, he says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So the first type of burden that I'm going to be speaking to you about, under the heading of caring for one another, the, the first one is the burdens we pick up. The burdens we pick up, and that's what he's speak, speaking about. It's not our burdens. It's other people's burdens. Isn't that what it says in verse 2? Bear ye one another's burdens. He's not talking about what's weighing you down. He's talking about lifting the burden off a brother. He's talking about lifting the burden off of a sister. So how do we do that? Well, let's take verse 1 to begin with, and we'll just break it down. Listen to what he says. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault. That's the first part. Now, let me tell you what this does mean, and I want to tell you, first of all, what it doesn't mean. Now, what I want you to get a hold of what it doesn't mean. This does not mean that we are to be fault finders. This does not mean that we're to be fault finders. It's not what it means. It means we're to be burden bearers. May we not be fault finders, but burden bearers. Now, why do we not need to be fault finders? Let me tell you why. Because if you look hard enough at anybody, you're going to find fault. Do you know that? I don't care who it is. Folks, we are all still growing in our relationship with the Lord. I don't care if you've been saved five minutes or 50 years. If you still got breath in your lungs, you are still a work in progress, and so am I. And if you look hard enough at me, at your pastor, you're going to find fault in me, with me. I'm not proud of it. I don't want that to be the case. But that's how it is. 
Because I'm still struggling with this flesh. Amen? So if you're looking for a perfect pastor, you ain't going to find it here. You know what I found out? If I was looking for a perfect church to pastor, I didn't find it here. We all in this together. We're all growing one another with one another. Are you getting what I'm saying? So we don't need to be fault finders. You're going to find fault if you look. Paul is arguing against the legalist in the book of Galatians. We've looked at it from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 5, hadn't we? Let me tell you what the legalist does. The legalist always, always, always finds fault in somebody else, but never finds fault in themselves. You ever been around some folks like that? That'll bless your heart, won't it? My Lord. The, 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 the fault finder is a first cousin to whom I call Negative Nancy. You ever been around Negative Nancy? Negative about everything? Everybody? Everything that's going on? Everybody they see something wrong with them, they're doing something wrong? Have you ever been around pessimistic Peter? You been around him? God, I can't even stand to see him coming. Oh, gosh. I hope I got to find somewhere to go. Are you hearing me? It just brings you down, don't it? Always finding fault with everything. Folks, I'm going to tell you, if you look hard enough, you'll find fault anywhere with anybody. You will. But don't always look for the fault. That's not what this is saying. We're not supposed to walk around looking for something somebody's doing wrong. So that we can call them out on it. And tell them how they need to do right. And look at me how I do it. <laughs> That's usually how the legalist says it, isn't it? Look, I'll show you. Watch me. No. This makes me sick. Makes Jesus sick too. You know how I know that? Look at Matthew 24. Excuse me, Matthew 23, verse number 4. Matthew chapter number 23, verse number 4. Well, let's just start with verse number 1 because it will all make more sense to you. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, all therefore whatsoever they hid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not do. Do you see it? Now watch how he puts it in verse number four. For they bind heavy burdens, too grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Everybody see it? You know what he's saying about the scribe, the Pharisee, the legalist? He's saying they're always casting burdens on everybody else. They're always finding fault in everybody else. They're always telling everybody else how they're supposed to do it. Now, they're not going to lift one finger to lift the heavy burden that's on they've put on their brother's back. They ain't going to do that. They'll talk about them. They'll do that. Right? They'll look down on them. They'll do that. But they won't lift one finger to pick up the heavy burden. Jesus said, don't be like them. That ain't what you want. That ain't what we're after. 
Look at verse, verse 5. Watch this. But all their works they do to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. And it's all for a show. That ain't what he wants. We are not to be fault finders like the Pharisee, like the legalist. We're to be burden bearers. Now listen. Like I told you before, let me go one step further before we go any further. Listen to me now. As I said before, if you look hard enough, you'll find fault with everybody. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, you know what he said in Philippians chapter number, uh, I won't flip over and read it to you. You don't have to turn there, but, but I want to because I don't want to misquote it, okay? Philippians chapter number three. Now watch how he puts this. In verse number 13, we'll look at verse 13, 14, and then verse number 17. Look how he says it. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth and those things which are before. You know what Paul is saying? He said, I hadn't counted myself. I, I'm not counting myself as having arrived. I mean, I've not got to the place where I don't need any more growth. I, I have not become fully Christ-like in all my ways, is what Paul says. He's still growing just like everybody else. Now, at this time, this brother had already written most of the New Testament. At this time, he'd already been on three missionary journeys. At this time, he had already been persecuted for his faith heavily, and now he is under Roman guard at this time. But he says, I have not counted myself to have apprehended. I hadn't reached the place where I don't need any more growth. He says, verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm pressing on with Jesus. I'm pressing on for Jesus. I'm just going to keep following Jesus. That's what he says. Now watch, verse 17. Brethren, be ye followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Now what's he telling us? Is Paul saying, is he arrogant enough to say, follow me, I'm the one? Is that what he's saying? No, I don't think so, because he said in verse 13, I, haven't count, I don't count myself as rich the goal. I'm still pressing on with Jesus for you. I'm going to try my best to grow in the Lord and be what God wants me to be. Pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ. That's what he says. No, what he's saying is this. As I follow Jesus in a pastoral role, you follow me. Now, if I don't follow Jesus, don't follow me. Because guess what? I'm not the example. Do you know that? Oh, folks, listen. If this church is my church, we all in bad shape. This ain't my church. Now, I should be an example, but I'm not the example. So Paul says, as I follow Christ, you follow me. For Christ is the one we look to. Christ is our example. Christ is the one we follow. Christ is the one who saved us. Christ is our Lord and Master. It's not the pastor. It's not the deacons. It's not the, the association. It's not any of that. It's Jesus. 
It's Jesus. So Paul says, as I follow Christ, you follow hard after me. And I, that's one thing I've told my deacons. I, you know, everybody that, that here in this church that has served as deacons since I've been here, the ones who were here when I came and the ones who are our deacons now, um, I told them, I said, look, if I'm following after Jesus, all I'm asking is you support me. That's it. You support me. You work with me. You pray for me. You love me and I'm going to love you as long as I'm following after Jesus. And I can honestly say they did that every step of the way. They did that. And I also tell them this. If I ain't following Jesus, don't follow me. Get you another pastor. Because why? It's not me. It's not about me. It's about him. We got to keep our focus on him. He is the head of the body. Amen? So, so listen to me, folks. We're not to be fault finders, but burden bearers. Because you'll find fault in everybody. And not only are you going to do you see that in the in the world that you live in right here not right now, but listen, we see it all throughout Scripture, don't we? We find if you look, you'll find fault in all the great men and women of God all throughout Scripture. I think about old Jonah. You know what the Bible says in Jonah one one? Jonah one one. The Bible says the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. The word of the Lord came unto how that is huge. You know what that says in one verse? Jonah had a right relationship with God the Father. So much so that God was speaking directly to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and he said, Jonah, go down to Nineveh. Jonah hated the Ninevites. He wasn't going to go. He said, Lord, I'm not going to Nineveh. Matter of fact, I'm going to do right the opposite of what you tell me. I'm getting on a ship and I'm headed to Tarsus. Tarsus was in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. And he did that. He had a free will to do what he wanted to do. He gets on the boat, heads to Tarsus, but on the way, a great storm hits the boat. Guess what happens? The sailors say, something's wrong here. Somebody has angered God because he sent this storm our way. And the Bible says that God actually hurled a storm at Jonah. You tell, let, me give, let me give you my uh, translation of that. That means God wound up and threw a fastball right at Jonah. With a great storm. You don't think God won't get your attention, brothers and sisters? If you're a child of God, he will. He will get your attention. And he got Jonah's attention. They cast lots. The lot fell on Jonah. They said, Jonah, you're the one that's doing all this. And guess what Jonah said? Throw me overboard and the storm will stop. And so that's what they did. They threw him overboard. God sent a great fish. The great fish was actually an act of grace thought about that a lot probably didn't seem that way to Jonah can you imagine it Jonah gets swallowed up by this great fish and he's sitting in the belly of this fish with fish guts that have been eaten before he got eaten all around him can you imagine the smell in complete darkness scared out of his mind because he just got swallowed by something bigger than him. Probably didn't seem like the grace of God to Jonah at that time, was it? But it was. I look back in my life and I see that so many times. Certain things that happened that looked so bad to me then. And I think, and I look back now and say, man, Lord, that was you. Because if that hadn't happened, this wouldn't happen. And if this wouldn't happen, this over here wouldn't happen. And I wouldn't be where I'm at now. Grace. 
don't always look like grace, but God knows what he's doing. There is no waste in grace. Remember that. No waste. It's amazing. So guess what happens? Jonah sees the error of his ways. He repents, gets his heart right. The fish vomits him out on the, on the shore, right on the shore where he needed to be so he could get to Nineveh in a three days journey. He walked there in three days, preached a revival message, and the whole city of Nineveh repented. Jonah disobeyed God completely. He was overtaken in a fault, just like it says right here in Galatians chapter 6. But guess what? God is a God of second chances. I think about Samson. You remember Samson, don't you? The Bible says that the strength of Samson was found in his hair. And Samson was the heavyweight champion of the world at the time. Nobody could beat him. This brother right here was killing hundreds of men with the jawbone of a donkey. He was a warrior, a man's man. Listen, Samson was doing things nobody had ever seen anybody do before. It's amazing. Guess what happened? Samson did something the Lord had commanded the men of Israel not to do. He said, I want you to have no relations with the ladies of the Philistines. Because when you do, they're going to bring their customs into your home. And when they bring their customs into your home, then you're not going to worship me like you're supposed to. But what did, what did Samson do? Well, he was overtaken in a fault. He failed a temptation. And he had relationship with Delilah. Guess what happens? She cuts off all his hair. The Philistines come, get him, poke out his eyes, and turn him into a beast of burden. They actually put him on a wheel to grind up um, corn and, and wheat, whatever else they was grinding. And he's out there walking around this thing, you know, grinding this on the, on the grinding wheel. And you know what the Bible says in, in the book of uh, Judges 16, 22? His hair began to grow again. What does that mean? That means God is a God of second chances. Samson failed the Lord miserably. But at the end of the story, he pushes down the whole Colosseum and thousands of the enemies of God die. He got his strength back. Praise the Lord. He got his strength back. I think about David, the man after God's own heart. The Lord loved David, and David loved the Lord. But what did David do? He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He lied about it. He caused Uriah, Bathsheba's lawful right husband, to be killed in the battle because he had the power to do so as king. Committed murder. Tried to cover all of it up. But you know what? Nathan came along. It's a prophet. And he said, he, he began to speak to David. He said, David, you've done this thing that's wrong and God knows all about it. You ain't hiding nothing. God knows. And the scripture says, one of my favorites in the book of Psalms, Psalm 51 and verse 12, David says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Because he said, the bones that you have broken 
are crying out within me. That brother was broken from the inside out. He had committed a great error. He had fallen into just what Galatians 6 is talking about. He had been overtaken in a fault. Now David was a great sinner, but he's also a great repenter. Amen? And he said, Lord, forgive me. My bones feel like they're breaking. Make it right. Have you ever been there? God, I have. It starts with you just becoming numb to the things of God. You know, That's what sin does. It numbs you to the things of God. When you have unconfessed sin in your life, that which used to be so sweet and so powerful, the presence of God that was so real to you, you begin to be numbed by it. Numb to it, excuse me. And it's all because of sin. And the longer you sin without getting things right with God, without repenting, you get more and more and more numb to the point where it almost feels like you're broken inside. And for a Christian, you're in a miserable place because you know how good it can be. You know how good it used to be. You know what it was like when you first trusted in Jesus and he cleaned you up and set you free and now you feel so broken. That's where David was. But he repented. He repented. And this same David, it was prophesied that from the lineage of David, the king of kings and lord of lords would be born. He was. Why? Because God is a God of second chances. If it's true for Jonah and it's true for Samson and David, Peter, if it's true for all of these people, it's true for you, brothers and sisters, it's true for me. So a Christian who is a failure or who has failed don't mean it's final. God's grace is still sufficient for you. God has not given up on you. God is, loves you. You're his child. But when you take yourself out from under the hand of God's blessing, protection and provision because of your sin, then you get what you ask for. Are you getting what I'm saying? Whew. Now, according to what Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, we are to be in the ministry of re uh, restoration. He says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ in verse 2. He says, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness in verse 1. We are to be in the ministry of restoration. So when he's talking about here that you see someone overtaking a fall, what's he mean? Well, we all probably know somebody that maybe used to be a member of this church, but now they're completely outside the will of God. Now they're living in the world and, and not doing what uh, they know God wants them to do. Maybe you know somebody like that right now. Maybe you know somebody at your workplace or in your family, a friend that used to be on fire for Jesus. You know God saved their soul and you know God changed them from the inside that made a difference on the outside. And all of a sudden, they slipped up. They fell to temptation. They were sabotaged by sin because that's what sin does. 
They believed the lie of the enemy and allowed the little things to creep in that turned into big things. Are you getting me? And now they're completely outside the will of God. He says, when you see somebody like that, restore them. What, let me tell you what he don't say. If we see a, bro, a broken brother or sister in Christ, are we to ignore them? That happens, don't it? They're almost sometimes pretty like the plague. Nobody wants to talk to them. Because you're afraid somebody's going to see you talking to them. Stop it. You're not that high and mighty. None of us are that important. None of us are too important to help a brother when they're in need. We, we shouldn't ignore them. So what should we do? Should we say, uh, you, you see a sister who's fallen into sin and outside the will of God and no longer serving the Lord? Are we supposed to say, well, that's none of my business. That's her business. That ain't nothing to me. Really? Is that what the scripture says? Because I remember somewhere in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when Paul said, if one member suffers, we all suffer. And if one member rejoices, we all rejoice because we are many members in one body. Let me tell you something. If you had a broke wrist tonight, would it affect everything else? Would you hurt all over? If you had a member broken and bleeding, would it affect the whole body? Of course it would. That's why the, the, the Bible says we are to restore that one. Don't ignore them. Don't say, oh, it's their business, that's not my business. It is your business. They're your brother. They're your sister. Love them. Help them. One another. Are you getting me? So how do we do it? I'm glad we got the direction of the word of God. He tells us right here. He tells us, look, three ways. Watch. First of all, he says, do it gently. Watch how he puts it. Restore such one in the spirit of meekness. Meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. It's said of a horse that's been broken and, and able to ride that that horse has been meek. You ever heard of that? When we were out in Oklahoma, we went out to pick Anakata up this summer. We went to a rodeo. I had the best time of my life. I love that, man. It's so much fun. I wish we had rodeos more around here. If I, if I hear one, I'm going. I like some rodeos. But, but anyway, um, we, before everything started, they had all their kids out there in the rodeo arena. And I'm talking about kids. I'm talking about two, three, four-year-old little girls out there riding 1,500-pound horses. No kidding. Cute as a button, man. These little, little girls with pink cowboy hats and pink uh, cowboy boots out there riding them horses everywhere, just smiling, grinning, having a ball. And I thought, my goodness, that horse has to be extremely gentle that horse was showing some meekness now if he wanted to he could have thrown that baby all the way across that arena couldn't he I believe he could have because I seen him throw grown men all the way across that arena just a little bit later but that was meat power under control gently that baby was out there leading that horse around wherever she wanted to go so what's he saying that we're to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness? We're to do it gently. Gently. Oh, listen, it's got to be gently. I was standing out in front of a church for a revival service. I was preaching a week of revival over in Tennessee. Here, um, I guess it's been two or three years ago now, before COVID. 
kind of lost track of time since the last two years, but whenever that was, um, I was over there. And we stand out front one night, and this man pulls up in a pickup truck. Him and his wife get out. And they walk up on the front porch, and uh, the guy that was standing next to me, I was greeting him as he was coming in. guy that was standing next to me sees him coming. You know what he says? It's about time. Where have y'all been? And he done it in a, like he's joking, but he ain't joking. Everybody knows it. I knew it. Pretty sure the man and woman knew it. See, really what he was saying was the legalist saying, I've been at church. Why ain't you been here? Look at me. I'm doing it. Why ain't you doing it? That's what he's saying. That's what he's meaning. Guess what? That's not gently. Amen? That's not the spirit of meekness. And I think that junk makes God sick. I think that's who Jesus is talking about when he's talking about them Pharisees in Matthew 23. That's what I think. Do it gently. Do it gently. Oh, listen. You know, yeah, if I, hey, if I see somebody, I want them here, don't you? I want them here, don't you? Absolutely. You know you get a whole lot of more bees with honey than you do vinegar. Put some honey in your mouth. And let it pour out when you see somebody come to the house of God. Amen. So very important. Do it gently. If a person is in, at fault and you know it and they fell away from the Lord, do it gently. Don't do it with ego. Do it with a love that's given by God the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you don't, you're just going to make things worse. You're going to come across as egotistical and judgmental and a hypocrite. Because they know you've got faults too. That's what you got to do. You got to do it gently. Let me tell you something else. Not only does he say do it with a spirit of meekness, but he says also considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. Do it gently, but do it humbly. That's what he's meaning. Let me tell you what real humility is. When a brother is overtaken in a fault and you don't go to him in an egotistical way, you go to him realizing Except by the grace of God, I'll be right where you're at. Except by the grace of God, I'm you. That's the spirit you go in. You do it gently, you do it humbly. Look at the last thing. He says, bear ye one another's burdens. Don't do, don't do what the Pharisees do and throw those burdens on them, but don't lay a finger on them to help ease the burden. Don't do that. What you should do, what we must do if we're going to be effective, is sympathetically, sympathetically help them bear their burden even though it's not yours. Let me tell you something. When you do this, it gets messy. It's going to get messy. You're going to have to deal with some stuff. But let me tell you this. It's worth it. It's worth it. That's kingdom business. That's the business we in, ain't it? Restore such a one. I love to travel. If I had any money, nobody would ever see me. <laughs> I just ain't got no money. But if I did, I'd be traveling everywhere. One of my 
bucket list places that I want to go is to see the redwood forest out in uh, California, the sequoias. I've seen pictures of them. I've seen a picture of a tree that's got a highway through it. You ever saw that? It's been hollowed out on the inside with a highway going through it. It's amazing. These huge sequoia trees, man, that's hundreds of feet tall, thousands of years old, they say. It's amazing. Let me tell you what I found out about sequoias. Do you know that a sequoia don't have a tap root? What I mean by that, they don't have the roof that goes way, way, way on deep, 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 deep down in the ground. And when scientists figured this out, they began to wonder, how in the world could these huge trees stand in inclement weather without a tap root? But what they do have is roots that go out like fingers everywhere, about 6 to 12 feet under the soil. And what they found out was these sequoias were all interconnected. Not where everybody could see, but down under the earth. All of these roots grew together. Really what you had was one huge organism, these forests. Not one tree, but all the trees interconnected by the root system. And guess what that did? That kept all of them from falling. There's strength in unity. Would you agree? There's strength when we bond together in the love of Christ. Listen, being rooted and grounded in love. That's what Paul said we were to be. When we are rooted and grounded in love, when we are in Christ, unified, it's very hard for others to fall. Are you getting me? Do you see it? Oh, we got to think about one another. We better. For we too are an organism. We're not an organization. We're a body made up of many members. Comments or questions?